We are um, in Acts, and <clears throat> I, I'm going to be in Acts for a number of weeks this fall, and probably um, next year, <laughs> and maybe the year after that. We'll see. Here it is. It's uh, almost September, and uh, we're concluding Acts chapter 4, and there's quite a few chapters. So we'll see, but um, excited, really excited uh, to get into this text with you today. Um, sometimes, I was sharing with Karen this morning, sometimes I stand before you and I think, what am I doing? And then other times, um, the word just preaches itself. And um, this word this morning is, is very... Um, precious, and um, my prayer has been just for the Holy Spirit to, to preach uh, these words into your heart this morning. Uh, most of you are very familiar uh, with the New Testament prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 6. It's at the very heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's actually only 52 words long. But there have been books and books and books written just about that prayer. Um, back in the summer of 2010, I actually spent seven weeks uh, in a preaching series about that prayer. So um, we looked at those 52 words over a span of seven weeks. Um, and it's worthy of that kind of attention. It's a wonderful example of prayer for us. It instructs us. It serves as a great model uh, of prayer for us as followers. Now, perhaps you're not as familiar with the prayer we're going to look at today. I'm going to call this New Testament prayer the church's prayer. So you have the Lord's prayer over Matthew 6. Here in Acts chapter 4, we have the church's prayer. And it's tucked here in Acts 4. Uh, it's actually 134 words long. It's the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts, yet we're just going to spend one week with it. And so there's a lot to cover in a very short period of time this morning. However, it too is a, it's a wonderful example. It too instructs us. Um, it too serves as a great model uh, and pattern of prayer for us as Christ followers. Several weeks ago, at the end of um, Acts chapter 2, we talked about the church in 4D. Um, this group of early believers here in Acts, they developed a word view, they deepened their fellowship, they decided to live generously, and they designated time for prayer. And it's that fourth one that I want to emphasize today. This group of early believers, they designated purposefully and intentionally set aside time to be together in prayer. And we see all kinds of examples of this in Acts. And so this is the first of many um, examples that we will see as we study Acts. For these early believers, prayer was not something that they did just right before a meal. It was not something that they just did at the conclusion of a gathering they set aside time, they designated time, they gathered together to pray. 
So let's look at this prayer uh, here that I've called the church's prayer. Uh, In verse 23, Luke reminds us that Peter and John had just been released from jail, and they went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And a couple of quick things I want to point out here before we get into this prayer. First, it literally reads that they returned to their own. The word people has been added by translators. But the the little phrase in the Greek is just their own. And it's a phrase, it's a really neat phrase that's used multiple times in the New Testament. And it specifically refers to your Jesus people. It specifically refers to your faith family. Let me ask you a question. When you face a difficult time, when you experience suffering in this life, when you're going through a crisis, when you endure a hardship, who do you call upon to pray for you? Who comes to your mind? Because whoever comes to your mind, that's who these people are for Peter and John. Who are your people? Who knows you and is committed to pray for you? Listen, there are people that I pray for by name every morning. Those are my people. To use boxing imagery... Who's in your prayer corner? You know, when you're out in the middle of of the ring and life knocks you down and you're facing difficulties and you're enduring hardship and the bell rings for the end of the round and you stagger back to your corner, who's there to pray for you? Who's there to encourage you? Who's there to speak life into you, to lift you up in prayer? Church, we must be that for one another. If you don't have those people in your prayer corner, you need to find those people to be in your prayer corner. That's that's why we exist. The the, the early church, they designated time for prayer. They, They had people in their prayer corner. They prayed for one another. We need to do that for one another in this life. That's the first thing. So Peter and John went to their own. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is that Luke says that they reported all that had been said to them by the chief priests and the elders. So what had been said to them? Now, this is the BCV. This is the Barrett-Kaufman version. But this is basically what they had said to them. Stop making a big deal of Jesus. That was the message. If you recall, Peter's actually a little, too, a little confused as to why they've been arrested. He says to them, are we being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple? Really? He didn't understand it. But the Jewish leaders make it very clear in their response to him that they're fine with Peter and John doing acts of kindness. They're good with them helping out the community. You know, today, people are fine with the church doing acts of kindness. Today, people are good with the church doing good deeds in the community. 
But in verse 18 of chapter 4, they called them in and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do good deeds, but leave him out of it. Help people out, but stop it with Jesus. We're tired of hearing about him. We do not want to ever hear his name again. Do not speak in the name of Jesus ever, 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 ever again. And that's the report. Church, I I addressed this uh, more directly two weeks ago, um, but I I, want to just take a second and say it again. We exist to make a big deal of Jesus. That's why we come together. We don't gather to make a big deal of politics. We don't gather to make a big deal of issues. We gather to make a big deal of Jesus. And the world does not want to ever, 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 ever hear his name mentioned again. Well, in verse 24, when they hear this report, this is why they exist. And they've been told that they can't mention his name ever again. They raise their voices together in prayer to God. It's It's their immediate reaction. It's their natural response as a group. The church's response upon hearing this report is to pray. It's what we do first. When there's a crisis, we pray. When there's difficulty, we raise our voices together in prayer. We are to be first responders in prayer. And this prayer is just so instructive to us. It's, you know, just like we can learn so much from the Lord's Prayer There's also so much for us to learn here from the church's prayer. And so let's look at this prayer together. You know, I came across a great, great quote this week. It's such a good one. Um, We have a big piece of brown. What's what's that paper called? Just big brown, like grocery butcher paper? I don't know. Yeah, it's brown. It's like a grocery sack paper. Uh, and uh, we've got it up on our dining room wall, and like when we come across a good quote, we go and we write the quote up on the, on the paper, and this, is, this one deserves to be up on the paper. Um, but it's said by a man named Ajith Fernando. Perhaps you've heard his name. He was the teaching director of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka for over 40 years. But here's what he said about this prayer. If you're taking notes, this is a good one to write. He said, when we gaze at our sovereign God, we need only to glance at our problems. When we gaze at our sovereign God, we need only to glance at our problems. That's so good. Because it's exactly what happens in this prayer. 
when you study this model, this pattern, when you study it, that's what they do. This prayer uh, begins in verse 24, and for the first five verses through verse 28, the church gathers to pray, and they spend their time gazing at our sovereign Lord. The majority of this prayer is an exercise in reflecting upon, thinking about, reminding one another about the sovereignty of God. And then in verses 29 through 30, the church glances at their problem. They, they bring their petitions to the Lord concerning their situation. And I think this is just a great example for us of prayer when we face crisis, when we face dif- difficult situations, when we face hardship. So let's look at this first part of the prayer where they gaze together upon the sovereign Lord. Um, Robert Coleman, he wrote uh, a wonderful book on evangelism. It's really kind of a classic study of evangelism. It's called The Heart of the Gospel. Um, highly recommend it to you. But in that book, he tells the story of this little girl um, who is drawing a picture at school. And uh, the teacher walks around the classroom and stops at her desk uh, and asks her what she's drawing. Um, And she says that she's drawing a picture of God. And so the teacher looks at her and says, don't you know that no one really knows what God looks like? And without hesitation, the girl looked up at the teacher and said, well... They will when I'm through. <laughs> and I love that. And because that's the heart here of, of what the, the church here does with this word picture that they draw, this word picture that they create of our God as sovereign. If you didn't know before, you will when, when you're through looking at this. To start with, they begin the prayer by addressing God as sovereign. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to address God as Father. In other New Testament prayers, the church addresses God as Lord. But here, the church addresses God with the title Sovereign, and that's it. That's the, that's the address. It's just the Greek word for sovereign. Now, most English translations come along and add the word Lord after it. However, that's implied. It's, it's not a literal translation because it's just the one word that means sovereign. And this is significant, and it sets the tone for the entire prayer. They address God as sovereign. That's it. Sovereign. And then they reflect upon God as sovereign in three very helpful ways. First, in verse 24, they reflect upon him as the God of creation. God is sovereign over all of creation, from the aardvark to the zonkey. 
And that's a real animal. I actually saw one one time. It is what it sounds like. It's a cross between a zebra and a donkey. And uh, we were down. We had taken Bailey down to Harding and left her there. And she had been there for several months and learned the ropes. And so then when we all went the second time to visit her, and she wanted to show us around Harding uh, and Searcy, Arkansas, we, uh, we took her out to dinner. And then she said, hey, do you want to go see the zonkey? Okay, sure. I, I didn't know if it was a joke. I didn't know, is there a zoo? Um, but there's a family uh, that lives there in Searcy, and they've got a chain-link fence in the backyard, and they have a pet zonkey. And you drive by, and you look at the zonkey. There's not a whole lot to do in Searcy, Arkansas. <laughs> but the point is, God is sovereign over the zonkey. All of creation. They pray, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And the implication here is that the one who created the heavens, the one who created the earth, the one who created the sea, the one who created everything in them is more powerful than, has more authority than, is in charge of everything he created. He is sovereign over all of creation. Second, in verse 25, they reflect upon him as the God of Scripture. So he's God of creation, and second, he's God of Scripture. God is sovereign over all of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 would write that all Scripture is inspired by God, that it's God-breathed. Here in verse 25, in this prayer, they say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they reflect upon this incredible idea that through Scripture, God speaks by the means of the Holy Spirit through the mouths of humans. And the implication here is that there is great power, that there's great authority in the Word of God. What we have here are the very words of God. It's not just David speaking, it's God speaking. And God's words carry more weight than the words of any human leader. There's, there's no one else whose words carry that much power and authority. And so they reflect upon God being sovereign over Scripture. And then third, in verses 25 through 28, they reflect upon him as the God of history. God is sovereign over all of history, from the alpha to the omega, from the beginning to the end. God sits on the throne of history. He has absolute power and authority over all of history. 
uh, the verse that's quoted here in this prayer, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And they're quoted here to proclaim the foolishness of any nations or any people or any king or any ruler who might try to oppose the sovereign will of God. It's futile. People have plotted in vain all throughout history. And the death of Jesus Christ is exhibit A of this reality. In verse 27, it's it's just powerful how they describe what happened to Jesus here. Um, Because at the time of Christ, you know, there was an unprecedented joining together of all the powerful forces. All the power and authority of the earth came together in this unprecedented way. Herod and Pilate, Scripture tells us, before the day of Jesus' trial had in fact been enemies, but they became friends on that day. And then they joined together with all the powerful among the Gentiles and all the leaders of the Jews there in Jerusalem. They all came together to conspire against God's holy servant, Jesus. It was the perfect storm. All the evil forces, all the power and authority of this earth came together at that very moment like no other time in history in order to destroy the one whom God had anointed. But listen to this, verse 28, because it's so powerful. Even though Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and all the people of Israel meant ill towards Jesus, God had a will for Jesus. They meant ill, but God had a will. Therefore, they only did what God's will had decided beforehand should happen and not one thing more. God is sovereign over all of history. God is on the throne and is sovereign over all of history. So, in the first part of this prayer, the church has gazed at our sovereign God. He's the God of creation, He's the God of Scripture. And he's the God of history. And with that in mind, in light of of that great reality, they now glance at their problems. And it's actually uh, the word now there, the first word there in verse 29, um, that signals the shift. It kind of, it signals the first part of the prayer where they've been reflecting upon God to where now they shift to their petitions. So they go from reflection to petition here at the beginning of verse 29. And they request, they bring three petitions, three requests. And these, each one are just so good. 
and so instructive. Um, so often, I don't know what to request. I don't know what to ask. And these are so instructive to us as his church. The first request is a simple one. It's a request for the Lord to consider the threats against them. Another version reads, look at or look upon the threats. Now, they've already spent this this time in reflection, right? Reflecting upon God as sovereign. Sovereign over all of creation. Sovereign over all scripture. Sovereign over all of history. And with that in mind, with, with that reflection on his sovereignty, now all they feel the need to request is that the, this sovereign Lord would see their situation. Would just consider their circumstance. That's all they need to know. That the sovereign God would look upon them and take notice. That's really powerful to me. Often in my intercessory prayer for others, I don't know what to pray for them. And I love, I love this instruction here in this prayer. As I pray to the God who holds the entire world in his hands, that this God would see the circumstances of the one that I'm praying for. That this sovereign God would consider their circumstances. Second request is for God to enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And here's what I don't want you to miss here. They're asking the Lord to give them the boldness to do the very thing that the chief priests and elders had just outlawed. The boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. The strength to speak Christ in our crisis. What a great request. That our, that our crisis, that our difficulty, that our suffering, that our hardship won't keep us from proclaiming the name of Jesus. That his strength and his power will enable us to continue to proclaim the name, to, to speak Christ in our crisis. Lord, give us the boldness to speak your word. Make us like Peter and John who cannot not speak about what they've seen and heard. Boldness. You have, um, 
you've most likely heard of uh, Corey Ten Boom. She wrote really a classic called The Hiding Place. And uh, it's a biography about her family's efforts to help the Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust. Uh, And it's also about her time when she was imprisoned uh, in a concentration camp with her sister, Betsy. And so um, you may not be as familiar with her father. Dad's name was Casper Ten Boom. He was in his he was in his eighties. And on the day <clears throat> excuse me one second. On the day that the Nazis raided their home and arrested all of them. Because of Casper's age, he was 84, the Gestapo, the head guy, for just because of his age, had compassion on him. And he didn't want to arrest him. He didn't want to arrest someone that elderly and take them into prison. And so he had sympathy for the old man. And so we said to him, old man, I'd like to send you home. I'll take your word. That you won't cause any more trouble. Casper Ten Boom applied to the Gestapo, looked him in his eyes, and he said, if I go home today, I will open my door again tomorrow to any man in need who knocks. The Gestapo became enraged, so angered by his response that he immediately threw him in the prison where 10 days later he died. It's boldness. It's boldness to speak Christ, to stand for Christ, to be Christ in our crisis. Lord, enable us, whatever the hardship is, whatever the suffering is, whatever the difficulty is, to speak Christ. And then the third request is for God to stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
This phrase, to stretch out your hand, that's not one that we really use today, but it's a significant phrase um, in the Old Testament. And so it had carried over into these early Christians' prayers. Um, interestingly, one of the pla- primary places it was used in the Old Testament was with Moses and the Ten Plagues. Uh, in Exodus, God instructed Moses to stretch out his hand over the waters and turn the water to blood. He instructed him to stretch out his hand over the streams and cause frogs to come up out of the waters. He instructed him to stretch out his hand toward the heavens and and cause hail to fall down from the skies. And so it's this great biblical phrase which means to show the sovereign power of God. Stretch out your hand means the hand signifies power. The hand is the symbol for power. An authority. And so to stretch out your hand, to ask God to stretch out his hand, the, the request, the petition is for him to reveal his power, to show his sovereignty over whatever it might be. His power and authority over nature. His power and authority over his creation. His power and authority over your situation. Stretch out your hand, show your sovereignty through the name of Jesus Christ. So what a wonderful prayer, these three requests. Consider our circumstance. Enable us to speak Christ in the crisis and stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand to perform. Stretch out your hand to do, to work. Show yourself to be sovereign over the situation. And that's the prayer. They gazed at their sovereign Lord, glanced at their problems. And after the amen... Something wonderful occurs. Verse 31, God shows up. Quite literally, the Lord shakes the place and gives them a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not another baptism of the Spirit. It's a special anointing of the Spirit that enables them to speak Christ in their crisis. It gives them the strength to do that because they don't have that strength themselves. They're too emotionally spent. They're too physically suffering. They're too, whatever the reason, they they don't have that strength to still speak Christ in their crisis. And so there's a fresh filling. There's a special anointing for them to proclaim the name of Jesus boldly in their situation. The church's prayer. It's a wonderful example for us today. May we reflect upon it and allow these words to transform our hearts. Let's pray. Sovereign.
you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouths of your servants. Indeed, as you show us through Christ's own suffering, you sit on the throne of all of history. Even at the very moment when the powers and authorities of this world came together to conspire against you, None of it happened outside of your will. You alone are sovereign. Lord, we ask that you will consider our circumstances. Lord, I know Everyone here today comes with some burden. They come with some kind of hardship or difficulty. Even if it's not something that they're personally going through, it's someone that they love is going through, someone close to them. We ask that you will consider their circumstances, that you will see the suffering. Father, we ask that you will enable us, even in the circumstance, even in the suffering, even in the crisis, to speak Christ. The world does not want to ever hear his name ever again. So, Lord, even in our suffering, may we speak Christ. May we say his name boldly. Lord, stretch out your hand. Show us, show this world that you are sovereign. Stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand to perform miracles. Stretch out your hand to do wonders. Stretch out your hand to draw people to Jesus. Stretch out your hand to to, to mend marriages. Stretch out your hand to to bring children that we've prayed for for years to come to Jesus Christ. Stretch out your hand to do works that we cannot do on our own, wonders that leave us wondering, who did this? Well, there's no one else who could have done this but Jesus Christ. Do them through his name so that his name may be proclaimed. Stretch out your hand. All through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen. This morning, if you're here today and you have never responded to Jesus Christ, if you have never made him your Lord, I hope you heard today in this message that he's sovereign. He sits on the throne. 
look, you can fight against, you can run the other way, you can do whatever you want to try to hide, you can conspire against. Listen again, all the powers and authorities on earth came together on one special day to conspire against him. I hope you see that it's all in vain, it's all futile, and that you'll just come and give your life to Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. Today would be a wonderful day for you to come and just give yourself to him in baptism, to say, I'm, I'm done, and I'm yours. If you'd like to do that today, we'd love to celebrate that day with you. Let's stand together and sing.